I, I want to welcome you to today's edition of The Bradley Hall Show. And I am your host, The Bradley Hall. If you or someone you know has recently discovered through an at-home DNA testing kit that one or both of your biological parents are not who you always thought they were, I want you to know that you are not alone. In fact, there's a very large group of people just like you who have connected and bonded over this unique situation. I happen to be one of them. The group is sponsored by an organization called the NPE Friends Fellowship. If you would like more information on how to join this group, please visit my website, www.thebradleyhall.com and look for the free NPE Resources Kit. Simply submit your email and I will send you an email full of links and resources to help you in your journey, including specific instructions on how to find and join the MPE Friends Fellowship. We look forward to sharing your journey with you. Hi, welcome back to another episode of The Bradley Hall Show. I am your host, The Bradley Hall. Today, my guest is a fellow NPE. Her name is Teresa Glantz. Teresa has joined us today to agree to join us today to share her story. Um, and uh, today, we're not only going to discuss her NPE status, but some of her childhood trauma and what led her to ultimately seek out becoming a trauma recovery coach. So please join me in work welcoming Teresa. Hi there. Hi, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Doing very well. Thank you for asking. Yeah. Cool. Well, I'm glad you're here. Thank you for joining me. Yeah. Thank, thank you again for even giving me the opportunity to share my story. Yeah. Well, you're, you're absolutely welcome. I'm, uh, we, we, both, we both know how important, how important sharing your story is, how cathartic it can be. So I'm, I'm more than, than happy that I'm honored that I can you know, help you do that uh, publicly. Yeah. Um, I, I, I shared uh, in the intro that um, you, you're a fellow NPE, um, but that isn't how we met. No. I, ironically, we're both, we're both in the NPE group on Facebook, uh, but we've, we met um, in the trauma recovery course, in Bobby Parrish's trauma recovery co course. Yes. And I think, I think you said to me, hey, I thought I recognized your name. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I was excited to see when they assigned the, um, our coach mentors, I was like, Oh, he's an NPE. Like I, I have to be honest. I'm not sure I've ever, I've ever even spoken with another MPE. So I was really excited about it. I was glad to hear that. So to couple both the trauma coaching and the NPE world together was really exciting for me. Yeah, me too. Me too. And we actually have a, um, ironically, we have a couple of MPEs in our, in our small group. Um, uh, which I found fascinating yes. that, that that happened. I did see that we had another one. Yeah. Yeah. I'll have to ask if that was uh, done intentionally. Yeah. Very well been done, done that way. So sure. um, anyway, I'm, I'm glad you're here to, and uh, willing to tell your story. Um, and I, I know, I know a little bit about your story that, you know, we've talked about a, a couple times. Um, I know that um, you're not completely public with your story, but, and you do understand this is a public forum here. This is, um, this is gonna, gonna go out. Yeah. Um, you're okay with that? Oh yeah. You, yeah. you, 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 it's a big deal. I, I want, you know, uh, um, people who are listening, who are not NPEs don't understand what a big deal that is to, to sure. go public. Yeah. I think one of the things I've learned through this is, um, when you discover you're an NPE, you really carry a lot of responsibility, both for your known family and your unknown family. And you have to make a lot of decisions. Um, nobody else can make them for you. You have to make them yourself and you have to be able to step into territory that you, you have no idea what's going to happen. So, you know, my thing is if I can say something that would be helpful for someone else in my situation, I certainly want to be that person. Yeah, we have that in common. Yeah, sure. I, I, I feel exactly the, the same way. And the reality is, is the, the, 
the reality is that no matter how an NP handles it, someone's going to get hurt simply because of the circumstances. Yep. And it doesn't matter whether it's the birth certificate father, whether it's the birth father, the mother, siblings, or the NPE themselves, or combina- it's probably a combination of all of them. Someone, someone is going to be hurt and disappointed. Yeah. And so, you know, the biggest thing that we have to weigh is um, how much are we willing to sacrifice ourselves to protect other people? Mm-hmm. Protect, you know, um, which is a very, very, very tricky, tricky equation, especially with the trauma involved because, because with the MP discovery comes the discovery of, of, of old trauma. It, it all come, it all comes up to the surface. It all comes with it. Everything has a new meaning. We're now reevaluating everything. So now we have to reevaluate is this person that I'm protecting really who I thought they were is our relationship really what I thought it was? Do they deserve being protected? Do they not being, you know, and then I've had a lot of people come to me and, and just say, I'm going to tell everybody because, and because they're angry, which isn't the right thing to do either. You know, you don't want to use this as a weapon and right. so, so confusing, so complicated. Yeah. And I mean, in an effort of being just really transparent, you know, um, it was, and I mean, you know, it is a traumatizing experience and, um, you know, I'm trying to guard my heart that I'm not um, using it as a weapon and that I am not um, being slanderous. Um, but I'm just not at a place where I'm fully at peace with all of it. I'm still working through it. And so I feel like what I know for sure, people can smell that on you when you're trying to be, you know, vindictive or you're trying to just go after somebody. And I don't want, I don't want that to be the biggest thing in the story, right? I want Um, I want it to really be about how I walked through this journey and the things that I've learned and the things that I've come to understand that I didn't know before. Um, I want that to be bigger than me trying to, uh, tell a story so that I win something. Right. So, yeah, I, I, I like that. I admire that about you. I, I, I'm the same way it. And it's not, that's not easy in itself. It goes back to what I was just saying about trying to evaluate where everyone stands um, and what their motives were and how they've affected you. Right. And, and even, even, even trying to take the high road, you don't know which high road to take. You don't know, you know, do you want, do you take the top high road? You take the middle high road or the one in between and how much do you say, how much do you, do you not say? And I, I'm, I'm trying to put the finishes on, on my book. And I just had this problem, had this discussion with my wife yesterday that I was, there's parts of it that I feel like I need to explain, but it's going to expose some people, some, some secrets about some people that they're already angry. Right. Right. And they're going to look at, they're going to take it as an attack and I don't mean it as attack. So I'm now I'm trying to gauge, do I tell, you know, is it, is it 30% or 50% or 75% or do I leave it all out? And if I leave it all out, am I, am I doing myself a disservice? And, uh, it just, it's it's an ongoing issue. And it's a heavy weight and it, It it's a heavy weight that just, you carry it every day of how to walk through this and how to navigate it in a way that you are at peace with and that you feel good about instead of, you know, I'm constantly checking my heart to say, I don't, I don't want to, I want to come out of this different. I want to learn. I want to be different, but I certainly don't want to come out and have a, an agenda, right? And try to be um, slanderous or intentional about hurting somebody because that is not at all my goal. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Very well said. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Um, if you had to do this all over again, would you do it? Yeah, there is no doubt in my mind I would do it all over again. Um you do. You know, I, I've learned so much and there's been a lot of missing puzzle pieces. I didn't know they were missing, but they were. And so I've, I've, I feel like it was something that I needed to know and it needed to be known. Um, yeah, I would do it all over again. I would say it was, it was the most difficult thing I've ever been through and I've been through a lot. Um, but by far, it's been challenging, but I've learned so much about 
me and my family and God and just all of those things. So yeah, for sure. I would do it all over again. Yeah. Yeah. And you, I know that we, we talked about this, um, that you wanted to, you want to talk a little bit about how your faith has, has come into play with this. Yeah. Uh, and I want to give you the opportunity to do that. Yeah. Thank you. Um, so, you know, I didn't, I didn't grow up in a church home. We didn't attend church when I was younger. There was really, we were kind of anti-church. My dad wanted really nothing to do with church. So, um, as I got older and started to see that if I didn't make some changes in my life, we were gonna, I was just going to end up being very similar to what my family was, divorce family and alcohol, lots of challenging things. So having my girls and my husband and I made a decision that we wanted to start attending church. My thought was, let's go to church so our girls grow up differently than than us. I didn't know that it was me God was after. And so I feel like what I'm learning now in the trauma course, you know, I feel like this was the first stage of my healing from my childhood trauma. I remember the concept of that God loves me and that I'm valuable. It was a really challenging concept for me to understand because I was really taught as I grew up that I was useless and worthless. And if you could think of a negative name for a young girl, I was called it. So um, the concept of trying to understand that I have a God that loves me and that would die for me. And, you know, that became very challenging for me. But what I understand now, that was kind of my first season of healing, right? New neural pathways to say, hang on, I am worthy. I am important. I am valued, right? Those kind of things that became very, that was hard. That was not easy for me. And many times we link God to our, our earthly father, right? We see him kind of the same. Right. We go, my earthly father treated me this way, then God treats me this way. So, um, yeah, that became a, a big challenge for me as I kind of walked through that piece of it. I will say when I had my NPE discovery, um, and we can talk about that a little bit, but the bottom fell out. I mean, I lost my bearings of who I was, of where I came from, all this trauma resurfaced. And so needing to anchor to something that I fully believed in and that I believed wasn't going to do me was God, right? I believed that. I was like, I got to hang on to something that I can anchor to because everything else, I've just lost my footing. So um, yeah, just some great stories. We don't have to go into all of them. We had a trip to Israel in the, right after my NPE experience. And uh, it was a pretty powerful experience to go to Israel and um, to be in the tomb that Christ was in and just, just weeping over where I was, right? I was more focused on where I was at the time. Um, so yeah, my faith has played a big role in getting me through this. And I'll tell you, I'm I'm certainly not there. I have a lot of work I still need to do, but I'm grateful that I have a truth I can anchor to. And for me, it has been the most helpful thing by far. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, You know, thank you for sharing that uh, with me and and with the listeners, because there's no doubt um, that there's someone out there that that, um, you spoke to. I... um, you know what's funny about me, and I don't—I don't want to get on too much on religion. I want—I want to oh, focus on your story. Sure. But um, depending on the conversation you have with me, I've been accused of being heretic, and I've been accused of being, you know, brainwashed by religion. And I'm—I'm uh, I'm very fascinated. I've always been fascinated with religion, and 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 I think that I—I I, this is a <laughs> this is a very very oversimplified statement, but I am a huge proponent of faith and I am a huge opponent of dogma. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I believe that dogma is the gateway to corruption. Ironically, I think dogma is intended to prevent corruption, but human beings can't help it. This is, this is what we do. Mm-hmm. And, but I'm, I'm a huge proponent of faith. I think that faith is the anchor. I think it's extremely powerful. Um, and, and one of the examples I use all the time is my father, uh, what my, birth of your father, uh, was an alcoholic. And I tell people all the time that J- Jesus Christ saved my dad's life 
and that's good enough for me. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and all I mean by that is that I don't care what you believe. I don't care what I believe. I don't care what, what you believe or anybody else believes that that faith for my father saved his life. And that's good enough for me. Sure. Yeah. And so I appreciate you sharing that because faith in, in our recovery, faith is extremely powerful. And I want to encourage people, whatever the faith is for them. And I don't mean to discredit your beliefs no, by any no, stretch of imagination. Um, I, I, but I do believe there's a lot of power in, in faith if used correctly, for sure. For sure. And I'll say, you know, as I said, when that happened and I, I had to anchor to something cause I was free falling and it's the worst feeling in the world. And, um, I, I, so I've been walking with the Lord for 20 plus years, right? Never have I done a full devotional. You know, you have these little 30 day devotionals. I got a hold of a 60 day devotional called I am and, um, you know, it would be like, I am safe. I am formed. I am whatever. And then, you know, she would give you scripture and whatever. So I would write on my thumb every day. I would do that devotional. I would write that word on my thumb because I needed every day through that time to remember who I was. Cause I'm telling you that DNA experience, I lost who I was. It was really yeah. traumatizing. So, uh, it was, my faith was one of the things that I clung to and, I trusted that God would journey with me through that. And it was a really scary time for me for sure. Yeah. 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 I, I, I know. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, We we've talked, I've talked about on this show a lot and for people who haven't experienced your entire identity is completely ripped out from underneath you. Yep. And um, you know, what you're able to do is rebuild who you, who you were and, 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 essentially again way oversimplified but essentially into who you wanted to be what you saw yourself as uh and a lot of my my clients that i use we we use visualization we we write out i have them write out who they want to be when when they die what do they want people to say about them what Mm -hmm. they want that conversation to be like and then engineer that uh, reverse engineer that work backwards figure out the steps from that and then just start reprogramming ourselves, which is exactly what you did, reading, yeah. reading your devotionals, using the words, you had the reminders. Um, and it doesn't matter if you write on your thumb, if you're using sticky notes, if right. you're, you know, putting reminders in your phone, it doesn't matter. It's programming, it's reprogramming. And uh, uh, it's a, you mentioned, you know, the neural pathways, it's neuroplasticity. It's just, mm-hmm. you know, people don't realize that who we are, we've agreed to be who we are. We don't, right. we don't realize it was tacit approval. We didn't understand it was happening, but everything is a child that you were told you, j- when we're younger, we just take it for face. I mean, we take it as, as it's given. Oh, that's the way it is. As we get older, we begin to question a little bit, but for the most part, everything that we are, we've agreed to be this. Right. Then, so the beauty for the NPEs and many of us don't see it yet, and it's hard to see, but the beauty is, is that we get now, now we've been forced off the comfort seat and, and we're looking at the world the way it really is. And, but now we have the opportunity to rebuild our lives the way we want it before we just accepted this is who we are. And this was given to us. And whether it was, that was good or bad, it's just the way it was. And it's not the way it is at all. And you're, you are living proof of that. So I, I appreciate you sharing that. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for everyone. Yeah, you're welcome. So tell me, tell me a little bit about your MP discovery. Yeah. Um, so, uh, my daughter bought me a DNA test for Christmas. My husband and I both, right. We were like, this will be fun. Both of my parents, uh, grew up in Southern Kentucky. So really I didn't know a lot about my heritage. I, of course, like many of us, I was told that we had a lot of Indian in our family, right? So I was like, that might be fun just to find out what that is. So my daughter bought the two of us a DNA test. Like everybody, I had no idea. So send it away. Um, this would have been in uh, January of last year, 2019, January 20th to be exact. Uh, I got a text from D- from Ancestry that said my results were in. I was actually walking at the mall. I'll never forget it because when I, I clicked on it so I could see what it was really quick. And um, it said I was 40, I think it said 43% Italian. And so I was like, 43% Italian? Like my parents are both from Kentucky. 
So I kind of just dismissed it and put it in, put my phone away. But it took me about five minutes to go, this, something's not right. So I thought, I'm gonna go home so I can actually see this on a full screen. So I came home, pulled out my laptop. Now did you, I don't mean, I didn't mean to interrupt. When you knew something was not right, did you have any idea what was not right? Zero. Zero? So okay. I will say I am one of the few. I read, of course, I'm in the MPE Facebook group. I read all the time how many people had some kind of indication that their dad was not their dad. What I understand now is the level of trauma I lived in throughout my childhood just didn't give me an opportunity to think, do I really belong in this family, right? I was in, I lived in survival mode a lot of my childhood. So I just never had an opportunity to entertain, you know, if maybe there was something off. There was a lot off. So um, I had no idea. So um, the, the first trigger was the Italian, like that was way off for me, right? Yeah. And so I got home, my daughter happened to be here. I have two adult daughters and um, we started to dig through it and I could see the people on my mom's side of the family, but I couldn't see anybody on my birth certificate side of the family, my birth certificate father's side of the family. And so as we began to research the people that were showing up, they grew up in the same community I grew up in. So okay. now I'm going, there's something really wrong here. Um, without going into a ton of detail, I made a phone call to my mom and through some conversations was able to get enough information that it took me 10 days to figure out who my biological father was. Wow. Um, I, when I'm telling you 10 days, they were like 10 days of me being incredibly obsessed, living in ancestry. I get it looking up yeah. um, obituaries. I mean, it, it, it was an obsession. And when I landed on it, when I was able to connect the story with, with the first cousin, I connected with the first cousin, I was able to see that this person was her uncle. And so it became very clear who my biological father was. Okay. Um, now, did you know this person? No, mm -mm. never had met him. The, the really strange thing is that I didn't, so I have this really sick ability, right, to just walk through those 10 days, numb. Like, I had no, I was just like a pit bull. I'm going to figure out who this is. I didn't cry. I didn't, I had some, some difficult conversations, but I wasn't falling apart. The day that I found him, the next day, I totally fell apart. I mean, it it then became real for me right. that um, all of the things I think that as NPEs we experience. So my two brothers that I grew up with are really my half brothers. So I don't have any biological, any full siblings that I'm biologically related I, to. I don't either. Yeah. I have yeah. a biological father who's dead, who I'll never know. Um, I have two other brothers that are right now I'm not ready to meet and they're not ready. We're, we're still working through that. Actually one of them, only one of them's alive, but um, you know, these realizations begin to hit you and it, it, I've likened it to, and anytime I say this, I think people are sort of shocked by it. I know my husband was. So at some point we might talk about, but my brother commit, my oldest brother committed suicide when I was a senior in high school and I found him. I would liken the shock to the same shock I had when I walked in and found my brother. Your brain can't compute really what's happening. I, it was so shocking to me that my dad was not my dad. Um, when I told my husband it was the same level of trauma, he was just like, are you kidding me? Like it's yeah. that traumatic. Like he couldn't, he was shocked that, that, that it's that same level of trauma, but it was. And so, you know, I recently heard um, uh, da um, Danny Shapiro uh, has a podcast. And on her podcast, she was interviewing, um, his name is, um, is it Dr. Bessel van, van der Kolk? He wrote, he's the, the guy who wrote um, The Body Keeps the Score. Yeah. And they were doing a Q&A 
um, people were asking questions and, and somebody asked the question and, and I was like with bated breath listening for his answer. Um, the question was, with early childhood trauma, can dissociation lead to the repression of all of the bad only to shockingly resurface 50 years later when re-traumatized and the memories and memories then resurface? So essentially what they're saying, is it possible that we repress all of these traumatic events in our life and then when we have a major re-traumatizing event, they resurface. And he said, this is really a classic situation. I mean, he basically said, absolutely 100%, that happens a lot. So for me, it put narrative to what happened to me, is that I had managed to build a narrative around my past trauma, right? I built a narrative that I could live with and that I could tell the story. Which, which we all do. It's, yes. hum, it's human nature is how the brain works. Is there, there's nothing wrong with that. I know. It's, it's, I didn't know that, though. So it's crazy yeah. that. And I just want the listeners to know. I mean, that, yes. that's, it's, not like, it's not like Teresa was crazy, so Teresa made this story. That, that's the way the brain works. We have to rationalize our, our world or we couldn't function it. Right. And, and so I, I didn't know that, that I had done that, but I had built a narrative around things in my life because they needed to make sense to me. And so when this happened, when I found out my dad was not my dad, my dad was the primary source of all of my trauma, not the only source, but the primary source. So to find your out, birth certificate I, father. my birth certificate father. Yes. So in a sense, I kind of gave him a pass, right? I was like, I mean, what am I going to do? He was my dad. That's how I, that was kind of the narrative I built. He was my dad. What was I going to do? To find out that he wasn't my father, I then had to go back through all of my trauma and reframe it, right? I looked at it with new glasses on. I saw it through new lenses and it was re-traumatizing for me to look at all of it again. Yeah. And I want, we have, you and I haven't discussed this, Yes. but I have a pretty good idea of a little bit about what you've gone through. So I want to, I want to kind of highlight this a little bit. Yes. I would imagine there was the struggle between what a jerk because he did these things to me and I wasn't his daughter. And did he know that I wasn't his daughter and was he living with that? And was he angry because of it? Sure. One, it, it, one, you're the completely the victim and you shift the anger to the person that abused you Two, takes in a sense of, uh, has to allow us to have compassion for our abusers because we see that they were also a victim and they were also, and that is one of the hardest things for an abuse victim to do is to understand the intergenerational trauma and understand why things work. Did you, did you experience that in this case? Yeah. You know, I get the questions all the time of, do you think your dad knew your birth certificate father? Do you think he knew? Um, what I've had to, so I love everything to just be tidied up and put away nicely, right? I'll never know. Yeah. My gut says he didn't know. Um, my gut says he didn't, but I don't, I will never know the truth. I will never know if he had an idea, if he thought maybe. Um, I will say that I was probably the one out of the three of us that would stand up to him. And he was not one time he was physically abusive with me. All of the other times it was mental abuse. And for anyone who's had mental abuse, it is traumatizing. Yes. It's very traumatizing. So very. he didn't physically abuse me though. So I don't, you know, I've played through my mind. Did he not physically abuse me? Did he have some kind of an indication? There was a little bit of him that stayed annoyed with the fact that I would stand up to him. Even though I, I will tell you, there were times I genuinely feared for my life. I genuinely feared I'm, that I'm he- I'm sorry you had to deal with that. It was awful. I mean, I saw him beat my stepmom and it would look like a murder scene. I mean, it was, it was awful. And I would fear that he would come after me. So I'll never know if he knew. And it's one of those things I'll just have to live with the rest of my life, never yeah. knowing. And, and I've kind of come to peace with that. I've created a separate file that says, I don't know the answer to these. Yeah. And that happens to be one of them. But, and, the, and that's, that's therapeutic in itself. Yeah. So, to be able to let go of things that you can't control. Yeah. Um, 
and, and quite the opposite is possible is, is also true that the more we hang on to things we can't control, the crazier it makes us. Sure. For sure. Yeah. Um, well, good. So you, you're not sure if he knew and, uh, you had to rework this whole, I suffered all this from a person that I really shouldn't have had anything to do with to begin with. Yeah. The difference in my story and some of the others, I think is that, um, I grew up with, so my parents divorced when I was very young. I was about two and a half, three years old when they divorced. Um, from what I understand, initially, my mom had custody of us. And um, for financial reasons, it didn't work out. And my dad ended up getting custody of us. So I grew up with my dad and my stepmom. So I essentially grew up as an adoptee. I grew up with two parents raising me that I was not related to. Um, I did get to see my real mom every other weekend. Um, but, you know, it's not the same as living day to day with somebody who is yeah. very abusive. And so there was a real hatred that my dad had towards my mom and vice versa. So we lived in the midst of that. The three of us lived in the midst of the battle between the parents. And so some of the trauma came in there. Um, and the verbal abuse um, at times were, was practically torture. I mean, there were times we were sitting at a table for hours on end as we were just badgered and called names and you know, as a young child. What, what's crazy is eventually I learned that what he was after was for me to cry and I learned to not cry. I, I would just think, well, I'll just sit here while he says all these things about me and I'm not gonna cry anymore, right? Yeah. And um, then you kind of go to your room carrying that weight of all the things he just said about you. Um, fortunately, there was something in me, like, I like to say now it was the Italian in me, right? There was something <laughs> in me that said, I'm gonna try really hard to not believe what he says about me. I will say that I've navigated my life well, thinking that I didn't believe that. What I understand now is it's, it's still in there. I still struggle yeah. with some of yeah. that. And, and, and it's important that we, we touch, I got, this is an amazing conversation. Thank you. I, yeah. I when, because we do, we do, we either, we, we do believe it. We're a child. We have no, we're a child and, these people are teaching us about the world. Why wouldn't we believe what they tell us? Right. And so we react in two ways. We either believe it and we succumb to it or we believe it and we spend our lives fighting against it, which it sounds like, which is what I did. Yep. It sounds like that's exactly what you've done. Yep. And so that it is. still heavily influences who we are. We're constantly fighting. It's a Don Quixote story. We're just fighting windmills. They're, I mean, it's just a daily battle over and over and over against something that shouldn't really matter, but it, it's so important to us. It, it defines our very being. Sure. My, my value I've understood is that I struggled still to believe that I'm valued and that I'm important and that I can overcome things. Absolutely. Even though looking in, you would think, well, sure, she's got that down. It's not true. I battle it all the time. And um, it's because I was told repeatedly that I was of no worth. So, and not only was I told that, but my life illustrated that, right? My environment said the same thing. So, um, which I believe ultimately is the reason my brother took his own life. You yeah. know, um, when you kind of walk through that kind of life and my brother was 22 when he ended his life and um, had oh, already- I'm sorry, how old were you? I was 18. 18, okay. 18, yeah. And uh, I was a senior in high school at the time. And um, at, at this point, um, you know, my oldest brother was, you know, like, like the rest of us, he's trying to just journey through life and figure out how to make it work. Yeah. Um, he had already had a number of drunk driving tickets. Back then it was a little different than now. Um, you know, it, it, signs were pointing towards he was going to replicate a really difficult life like we grew up in. And so um, we were very close. He was really, um, he was my father figure in my life. He tried really hard to watch out for me. Um, at a young age, the age of 13, I was already drinking. I was doing drugs. I was smoking pot. I was doing all the things that were just acceptable in the environment I grew up in. And so and he tried not uncommon to abuse. Survivors. Yes. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's just, you know, I, I think back now I go, was I doing that to cope? Or was I doing that just because that's just what I did? I don't, I, I don't know the answer to that. I do know that in, in the environment we were in, it was very common. So, 
Yeah, and, I, and I'm sure that that comes into play, right? I'm monkey see, monkey do. That's yep. what we, we replicate behavior. Yep. And also, uh, trauma survivors have um, the uh, the inability to. Um, uh, I can't think of the word I want to use here. So, we have a uh, trauma survivors. Um, <laughs> boy, this is I I got myself here. That's okay. The it is a common symptom of trauma survivors to engage in risky behavior. We lose the ability to gauge what is good for us and what isn't, and and or or we don't care. I I don't. I'm sure it's probably a combination of both, but it is extremely common for people to abuse substances and engage yeah. in risky behavior that have are trauma survivors. At at a very young age, 13. I mean, I think about. My 13th birthday, I remember I drank a pint of schnapps. I will tell you that didn't end well. Um, yeah, so, sure. but, but, you know, it was just, I don't know, it's what we did. So, um, but, you know, my brother had, you know, he was struggling for sure. None of us knew what that meant or none of us were uh, engaged enough to understand that he was headed towards something like suicide. Yeah. So um, I was, it was my senior year of high school, midterm exams. Um, I came home from school. I saw that his car was parked uh, on the street and I was like, oh, awesome. He's home for lunch. He worked and uh, nobody else was there, came in and I, right away, I knew something was wrong. Um, he, I saw the dogs were cowered under the table and he left a note that said, don't come in my room. And um yeah. So of course, you, what are you going to do? I mean, yeah. I walked down the hall and his door was open. It was cracked a little bit and I could see he was laying on the floor. And um, I walked in and he had put a shotgun to his head and ended his life. And I saw that. So um, sorry. Yeah. Thank you. You know, um, I've journeyed back through that, that time so many times. And um when I tell you that your you what your brain does in that moment is is I've I mean I've dug back through the, that moment so many times I was I was instantly gripped in fear and um, I I didn't know what to do so I ran out of the house and I went to my neighbors and asked her to call the police and um, when the police came and when they walked out and shut his door um, it was. A total nightmare. We had just entered into a nightmare. You know, what I understand now is that um, it felt to me like not only did I lose somebody I dearly loved, I lost them to suicide. And not only did I lose them to suicide, but I walked in and found it. So there were a lot of levels to this trauma. Sure. The other piece of it was that I felt like it blew the lid off of our home environment, right? I felt like secrets out people know now that yeah. our family yeah is just so dysfunctional that and we all walked around saying why did he kill himself why like why i mean and i'll tell you i dug through every 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 book he had every drawer in his room i mean we we looked for an answer what i know now is the answer was very obvious, right? I go through this trauma course and there are times I have to walk away and yeah. I have to just sit down and say, I get it. I get why he ended his life. I've, I've known for many years, um, but not to the level that I understand now that when we grew up in that level of trauma, he was older than me. He saw a lot more than I saw. And so um, his brain just couldn't, he just couldn't do it anymore, right? He just, couldn't do it. So, but I was then left with that trauma. And, um, you know, we didn't live in an environment where somebody would say, are you okay? Like that was a lot for you. You know, it yeah. was like, just buck it up and keep going. And that's exactly what I did. I think I took four days off school and went back to school and just tried to graduate, you know, because what else are you going to do? Yeah. I, well, and so, and what, <laughs> the other thing about trauma survivors is what is appropriate one day, four day, 14 days, you know, right. four months. there's nothing to gauge it against. We don't, 
and I know with my MPE discovery and some of my other trauma, I, I, I didn't, I didn't know what to, I didn't know what I was supposed to do. I didn't know how, because there were, there's no playbook. There's no how to do anything. And I can't imagine, I can't imagine going back to school after four days, but I, but I know, I understand what you're saying. You had nothing to gauge it against and what you were supposed to do. Um, No. And, and, I did have a teacher say to me, do you feel like you need to go to therapy? And that was really foreign to me. I was, cause, cause honestly, I was also taught that I was really weak, right? You're weak, you're a wimp, you're, I can't even say all the words I was told. So there was a part of me that thought, oh, I'm not going to go to therapy. No, I'm fine. Right. The truth is if only, I think if only I would have gotten the help I needed, then it would have been really helpful. But I, I try to live with no regrets, right? It, it is what it is. And I didn't go to therapy. Um, I was very fortunate that I didn't make some of the mistakes that are really common. I married somebody that was so different from anyone in my family. He is, my husband is very kind. He's very caring. He is, you know, he's not at all somebody who my family, you know, my dad was, my birth certificate father was sort of like, what's this? You know, he's totally different from us. And I thank God that I did marry somebody completely different than how I grew up, which is not always the case. So I I did, I did too. Yeah. Yeah. I got lucky. I know. And I I, I I didn't know what I was doing. I had no idea what I was doing. No, no credit to me. I'm just grateful (laughs) that God led me to somebody who was different and that um, I had the wherewithal to say, I do want a different life. I knew back then I wanted something different. I remember as a young child laying in bed the nights where my dad would be in a rage. And I would think to myself, someday I'll get out of this. Someday I'll live differently. Someday I will not have to lay in bed in fear for my life. And I'm so grateful that I've been able to, through the help of God, been able to do that and break the generational sin and the generational trauma in my family. My girls have a great relationship with their dad. And I am forever grateful for that, that they did not grow up like I did. Yeah. You, you, you brought up another good point, intergenerational trauma. Yes. First of all, uh, kudos to you for breaking the cycle. Thank you. Yeah. It's, um, it's critical. It's absolutely it critical. Yes. And we'll never know how much of all that we actually did lay on our kids, but we know enough to know that we, we broke it in its current state. Yep. And I'm, I'm very transparent. We, we are very transparent with our children about, uh, about our, our, our intergenerational trauma. I was going to say our childhoods and I, I don't want to really, it's hard to do that because it lays the blame on top of everybody else. It really is intergenerational. I mean, yes, down it is. From somewhere. And uh, we've been very transparent with our children to let them know, Hey, we, we probably damaged you somehow, but first of all, for, for what we know we did, we're sorry. And for what we don't know we did that you won't know until later, we're sorry for that too. And right. tried to tell them that if, you know, you have, they have the right to come to us and, and, and discuss things with us. That that's, that's huge. That That is absolutely huge. And I see, you know, a lot of people, um, it takes a lot of awareness to do that because some people think they're breaking from the cycle just by breaking from the family, but their break is toxic in itself. Yes. You know, and um, I, I, I get people say to me all the time that they, um, I, so I, I saw on social media the other day about someone who was talking about their narcissistic mother mm-hmm. who stated that they faked their own death and had an obituary printed in their local newspaper just to get back at their mother. Oh my word. No. My point for bringing this up is, is that this is a perfect example of what I was talking about. Yeah. He, this person is broken from the toxicity, but they haven't healed themselves. So whatever family they have, I fear, I don't know this for sure because I don't know this person, but I fear that they're, they're still passing down the toxicity to their family because it's clear that they haven't been able to work through that because I, I don't know what his mother did to him, but that's pretty awful no matter to fake your own death just to to hurt someone that i mean that's that's a level of that's a high level of manipulation in my in my opinion and i don't have all all the details but right um i just but worry I that think, he hasn't healed go ahead yeah 
Because I do think that, you know, for me, when, when, when the bottom fell out, right, when I found, about my, found, out, found out about my NPE status, um, I began to ask God to help me walk back through my past trauma and see it as it really was. Not as I created it, but help me see it fully. I need to, I felt like I've said, like, have you ever seen the movies where somebody's rummaging through an attic and, you know, they're upstairs in a filthy, dirty attic and their hair's a mess and it's hot and they're trying to find a file upstairs in the attic. You know, I, I said, I feel like that's what happened to me is that I was going back through all of my trauma and all of my conversations and, and just desperately looking for what did I miss? How did I miss this? You know, because I want to walk fully in who I am and who God created me to be, not living lies, not, you know, trying to keep secrets, not, I just, I just have to be able to journey through them and sort through them in a way that I can before I can just put them away peacefully, right? I don't, but I don't want to lie and I don't want to keep secrets. It's not healthy. I know that for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. I agree with you. As a matter of fact, I don't know if you knew this, but I have a, um, I, I teach online courses and the, my website, the, the name of my academy is the Life in Truth Academy. Oh. And it's dedicated to, to that awareness of, of opening your eyes from the facade. It, it's, it, it's, it's human nature. We, we live in this facade until we can't do it anymore. And right. it's what many addicts and alcoholics call a moment of clarity. Anyone who's been through trauma like you have, you know exactly what I'm talking about. There, there comes a point where you just, you have to make a choice. Yeah. It's a whole red pill or blue pill analogy with the movie, The Matrix. Right, right. And I would much rather live in my truth uh, and then, then in somebody's fantasy. I just, yeah. I can't do it. I can't. You know, I'll say when, um, as I found out about my NPE and started walking through that and how to tell the family and should I reach out to the new family and, you know, going through all of the things that we as NPEs carry a heavy weight and try to decide nobody can make that decision for it. We have to make that ourselves, right? Do I want to reach out to the unknown family? How do I tell the rest of my known family? Um, I began to, I started having panic attacks. I was having nightmares of my birth certificate father chasing me one nightmare. He was holding a gun to my head. I mean, they were traumatic. Um, and so I kept asking God, like, just, I want to be healed from this. Right. I kept thinking, okay, okay. What do I need to do? I need to read this book. I need to read this scripture, hear this song, have this conversation, say that prayer. You know what I mean? I kept, I mean, even take that pill, right? Whatever I could do to stop it from happening. And the truth is, there wasn't one thing that healed me. I, I didn't have a miraculous day of, even when I went to Israel, I'll be honest and transparent. When I went to Israel, I thought, okay, I'm going to touch a stone that Jesus touched, right? And I'm going to be healed. And that isn't what happened. It was everything. It was that song. It was that book. It was that prayer. It was that conversation. The healing has been a journey for me. I'm still on it. And and I hope that other NPEs understand that when you step into this, it's a journey and we have to do our work and we have to live with every decision we make. And I know that we are cautious and careful as we make them, but I, I wasn't healed overnight. I, I pleaded with God to heal me and it didn't happen overnight. And what I understand now it was through my healing that I learned so much about not only me, but how could I help somebody else who comes to me and says, and I've had one, I just took a DNA test and my dad's not my dad. And I've been able to help them and walk them through that because there's no book for this, right? There's no like, here's how you get healed in 10 no. easy steps. <laughs> it's, it's a lot of work that needs to be done. It, it, it is a lot of work. And uh, the, the cliche, the, it's a journey, not a destination. It, it's a cliche and it's, it's overdone, but it's absolutely true. Yeah. It, you, you never get anywhere. You just get farther today than you were yesterday. Right. 
um, for the most part. I mean, some days you go backwards, you know, mm-hmm. and which is which is another aspect of it. You have to you have to mentally accept that. You have to be okay with it. That if, if you know if you went if you went forward three steps and you went backward two, you don't you don't jump ahead four. You go right. ahead another one step. I mean, you you know, um, and and part of doing the work. And I I I I, I use the term do the work all the time. And part of doing the work is leveling up. Yeah. And you go back to what we were talking about at the beginning. You can't you can't level up too fast. It, it becomes overwhelming. It becomes too much, like we were talking about in the beginning. You just you got to take your steps. You got to take it slow, and and we should, right? Yeah. I mean, we should. You should do some work, and then. And so, an analogy: we I used to live in Indiana, and we used to visit Florida all the time. Mm-hmm. Every time we came to Florida, we drove as fast as we could down to Florida, stayed as long as we could, and drove as fast back as we could. Yeah. You know what I never did? I never got to see Northern Florida. I never got to see Georgia. I never got to see Tennessee. I never got to see Kentucky. Right, right. Southern Indiana because I didn't stop and pay attention to what was around me. I didn't, what, what is the, the phrase? Stop and smell the roses? Yeah. Here's trivia. Do you remember who sang that song? No. Uh, what if I said it's before my time? I'm just kidding. <laughs> it was uh, Mac Davis, I think. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Boy, that's going way back. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't know. I'm not old enough to remember Mac Davis. There you go. There you go. Uh, but we, we did. We we never paid attention. And and that's that's also a key for trauma survivors. You know, just celebrate the moment. Look back and see where you came from. See how far you've come and, and pat yourself on the back. And, for and sure. It's and not constantly working forward. And know that it's a journey. I mean, I, and I'll, I'm honest, I pleaded with God to heal me because I was falling apart. I was falling apart like my family had never seen before. And I, I thought, I didn't know how I was going to get out of it. I didn't know how I was going to regulate my brain again. And um, it was, it was all of those things that I mentioned. And, and of course I was in therapy and that was incredibly helpful. Um, I would leave therapy and sit in my car and just weep. I would weep at how sad I was for my brothers and myself, just of what we had been through. It was a real realization for me that I, that it was almost um, validating or normalizing that what I went through was really hard. And I think I had managed to say it was no big deal. You know what I mean? I got through it. Typical trauma survivor response right totally. there. It could have been worse. Yes. that's And I mean, I'm like, well, I got out of it alive, didn't I? And, you know, I would use all those phrases. And, uh, you know, I remember there's, she shared There's with me. truth to it. There's yeah. absolute truth to it. But it prevents us from really, really stopping and think, wow, I've, I've been through a lot. Yes. And it was, she shared with me one time, we were talking about being hurt. And um, she said, you know, she said, we often treasure our hurts. And I was sort of like, what do you mean? And she said, well, when we've been hurt, we hold them very close to us because we're fearful that if we lay our hurt down in front of somebody and we say, this was one of my hurts, they would just sweep it off the table and say, no big deal. I've been through worse, right? And so instead, we actually treasure them and we hold them really close because we don't want people to do that to our hurts. And I remember thinking, I don't want to treasure my hurts. I want to treasure my family, right? My daughters. I want to treasure my grandson. I want to treasure good moments, not my hurts. And trusting that I can lay them down in front of God and he's not going to go, no big deal. You've been through nothing, right? So there were moments like that in therapy that I would just get in my car and just weep in the realization that whatever I treasure my hurts, right? I don't want to do that. So working through how to deal with my hurts. So the key, the the key is, and you've discovered this, um, is to resist, which is way oversimplified again, resist the external acceptance of, of our pain. The, we don't, we don't need that. The, the, the trick is, is it's internal, right? Right. It's, it's, it's ourselves. It's, 
it's God, it's, it's Jesus Christ, the, the spirit that dwells within us. There's so many different ways I could describe this to different people, what they believe. The, the, the point is, is that it's not outside of us. It's not people walking the earth, that, that it's an, it's an inside job. We have to, the problem is, is that we project on other people. So if, because we don't accept ourselves, we project that onto other people. They're not going to, and, and then when they don't, they're like, well, see what I mean? I, I'm yeah. worthless because they think I'm worthless or, or, or whatever. Yeah. And it, it really is an inside job that there isn't anybody outside of you that can do anything to you that you don't allow them to do. Right. That is a hard, hard, hard realization. It's, it is a very hard realization to understand that um, healthy boundaries sound so easy. They're actually really hard. And one thing I've discovered is I actually, I get to choose. I get to choose who's in my life. Yeah. I get to choose to, um, how I have a relationship with you. Um, and if I have a relationship with you, I don't, it doesn't and matter. I get to choose whether it's okay to have a relationship with you or not. Exactly. Whether you, whether you care or not, I get to make the choice whether that's okay. Right. But I had to learn. I actually get to choose not just because of your title, not just because you're ex in my life, but because I get to choose. And yeah. if I choose no, then no. And so, and I get to choose that. So that's been, boundaries have been uh, a big challenge for me. And I learn, I fail. Sometimes I don't do well with my boundaries, but the truth is I walk away going, okay, um, that one, I probably, I, I hope I learned, right? That I have to be careful. So yeah, there are two challenges with it. One, one is enforcing them. Exactly. People, and people automatically assume that that's what you're talking about. Yeah. And the second one is knowing where that boundary should be. That's the really hard part. It's really hard. Yes. And once, what, once you, once you figure out how to enforce them, that becomes not that difficult, but always right. trying to reevaluate and figure out where that boundary lies is, is a challenge. Yeah. It, it's hard. Boundaries are hard. They're yeah. very hard, but so necessary. Um, one thing I understand is that I want my tribe, right? My daughters, my son-in-laws, my grandson, my husband, they get a healthy me when I'm managing and I'm choosing wisely who's in my life and I'm managing boundaries in my life. My tribe gets a better me. And right. when- They get a better them too because they're watching you. Exactly. They're watching that I can go through trauma and I can keep going and I can make it. Um, it's not easy, but I learned that my choices impact my family. And when I don't hold good boundaries and I'm not in a healthy place, my tribe doesn't get a good experience with me. And I want my family to know that um, God is good and he will walk with us and we can go through really hard times and be okay. It doesn't mean we come out of them like, oh, that was great. How about my dad wasn't my dad? No big deal. It's hard, but we can get through it. It takes a lot of work. It's a long journey, but we can get through it. Yeah. Yeah. Very well said. Thank you. I, I'm going to tell you, um, I, I, again, I'm grateful that you joined me today. Yeah. Um, I, I think, I don't mean to put you on the spot, but I think, I think you're amazing. That's why I asked you to come on today. Thank you. Um, everything that you've been through, your outlook, um, where you're at, it, it's, it's remarkable. And I, I think you're, you're an inspiration and I wanted, I wanted to put you out here so people could be inspired by your story. So thank, thank you for, for sharing that with us. Yeah. I mean, that's the reason I, I wanted to do it. You know, it's not a fun story to tell. No. Um, I wish but I didn't. It, have... does, it does get better. The more we tell it. Sure. Yeah. And I wanted you know, I always think if one person can look at you and say, oh, wow, if, if you got through that, maybe I can get through mine, right? Um, to be an inspiration, it's invaluable for sure. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So um, you are uh, working on your certification to also be a trauma recovery coach. So if anyone is inspired and wants to connect with you early, um, you will be coaching soon, I presume? Yep, yep. Um, okay. I think we'll be doing our exam in August. So uh, gearing up for that, I'm very excited about that. I have no idea how that's gonna unfold and that's okay. I'm just walking through it and learning as I go. So I'm really excited about it though. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, 
I, I think you found the right place. I think this is definitely uh, right up your alley. So I'm, I'm looking you. forward to, to it. So, okay. Any, any last words, anything you want to say? No, I just, again, I'm grateful for an opportunity to share and um, I hope it's helpful for somebody for sure. I'm sure it will be. I'm sure yeah. it will be. So thank you. Okay. Yeah. Thanks again, Teresa. Uh, I appreciate you and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Yeah. Thanks again for having me. I appreciate it. Okay. All right. Take care. All right. Talk to you later. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Hello? Is anyone here? Hello? Hello? Oh, oh, hi. There you are. I've been looking all over for you. I want to thank you for listening uh, today. I also want to tell you, if you haven't checked out my website lately, uh, you should do that. It's www.thebradleyhall.com. Just to remind you, I am a holistic life coach, a certified mindfulness instructor, and I am a trauma recovery coach. And in these uncertain times, sometimes we just need someone to talk to, to help us clear our thoughts, help us organize our thoughts, and help us map out a clear direction of where we want to go to help us navigate through the obstacles that we, we may encounter through daily life. And I'm here to do that for you. So check out my website. I've got plenty of free content uh, on my, my website, also on my YouTube channel, which is The Bradley Hall and uh, The Health Preacher. And uh, I'd love to hear from you. So thanks again for listening. We appreciate your support. And until then, take care of yourself.